Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog right, Radio. <clears throat> okay, then. <clears throat> Without further ado, welcome to the... Tuned into the morning after it is November 18th. I'm your host, JQ, along with my co host, Dylan Short, aka Turtle, aka Get on the Air Today and, and talk about the NFL <laughs> head coaches. How you doing today, man? Uh, we're just back at it again, man. Season's winding Absolutely. down, but at least we've got NBA starting up. NCAA basketball just started up. Never run out of anything to watch. Looks like we got a college football playoff released again. There were no changes at all. Everybody comes in at the same spot. There was something going on where they almost bumped Bama up to number one, but I'm glad they didn't. Clemson has had just an incredible season. They really deserve that number one spot right now, and I don't see anybody in this league that's playing as completely as Clemson. They've had a lot of tight games, which is a little disturbing. But the the resiliency of this team and Deshaun Watson, just an absolute monster. Two games in a row, throwing for 300 yards and running for 100. That's just incredible. That kid, as long as his health stays, that kid is just going to be a monster. And to think he still has two seasons left to grow, I believe you're looking at number one overall pick next year. You got Alabama at two coming off just a dismantling of Mississippi State which was a bit of a shame. That's all people are going to see about Miss State. And that's a bit – I feel bad for because that is, that is not a bad team. And Dak Prescott is so much better than what people are going to think, being that was the only game people saw of them. We also had um, number three coming in. It's still Ohio State. Uh, that's the one that people are getting a little bit upset with. Uh, they haven't played any ranked teams yet, but going into this Saturday – that's going to change. Now starts Ohio State's real gauntlet where they go with Michigan State, Michigan, and Iowa. Coming in number four is Notre Dame, who if you guys were listening last week, that's who I've got my major problem with. I don't see Notre Dame being the top of the one-loss teams. In fact, I would have Oklahoma State ahead of them right now. And the way Oklahoma's playing, I would have them ahead of them. Hopefully they lose to Stanford and we can get this all out of the way and be over with. <laughs> Yeah, I'm uh, I'm sorry about that. I clearly am going to have to go to T-Mobile and just throw my phone into the river so I can get another one because it just, <laughs> it just reset. I didn't even touch anything. I was talking to you, and it just cut itself off and reset. So I'm, I'm back. I appreciate you carrying on. I heard you talking about my Buckeyes. <laughs> um, and, and I understand that. Um, but like you said, this is this is their chance to come out and show and prove. Um, 
But, again, I have the problem I have is the same problem that I have last week is the selection committee, I don't think, is doing enough to be consistent where Alabama – that one that that loss against Ole Miss, I, I promise, it still doesn't look good. It's looking worse by the week. And then the win versus LSU, who just lost at home at night in Death Valley to Arkansas, is just inexplicable. But then you look at Iowa sitting outside the top four, and they have three wins over top twenty-five college football teams. I don't understand how you have them outside of the top four. Uh, you know, Notre Dame's only claim to fame is having lost to number one Clemson. I don't I don't get that. I don't get that at all. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, there's still the heavy duty weeks are coming. Uh, this is this is the time coming up this weekend in conference championships where all these things tend to shake out. Um, the problem with there was there was a number. Have you seen LSU's record after Bama, like after losing to Bama? Yeah, and Alabama's record is, is I don't think they haven't been covering the spread as well because they kill each other, so they don't play good games afterwards. And I and I get that. But you can, I think that sometimes they're skewing this right now to justify it in the SEC favor and then taking other numbers not to justify another team. I'm with you. I don't know how Notre Dame is in the top four. What, I mean, Temple is their best win, and they're, you know, and they're over two undefeated teams. I, I don't get that. It's, it's, it's very – you know what it's like? It's almost like before they, we had the college football playoff committee – where you just looked at it and said, "Oh, that's a big school. Throw them up there. That's a big school. Throw them up there. Oh, those little schools or middle schools. Uh, they have to they have to run the table. And then we might consider them at the end because this is clearly just name recognition. Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, and Notre Dame, and then you leave Iowa and Oklahoma State behind them. I mean, to me, that's what it screams of. Oh, definitely. And it's it's still early on, so it's just drumming up interest. But this is one of my big reasons why I want a six man team or a six team field." That way you get all of your Power 5 winners, and then you've got your one wild card player coming from either one of these Power 5 schools or, you know, your your number one, your runner-up in a conference who was also really good but just happened to lose an extra game. I think that's where it's going to head. Uh, I think it'll take another couple years of somebody getting shut out. But the one thing that it does is it drums up interest in the regular season, and it makes every game a priority game, especially for fans to watch, which brings in revenue. So that could be one reason behind it. And, again, I think it all shakes out. Uh, I actually don't think Notre Dame beats Stanford. And I'm not saying Stanford's a juggernaut because they're a very flawed team as well. But mm-hmm. um, Oklahoma State going in there and playing Oklahoma. Uh, they're playing Baylor this week. Uh, that should be a close game. Mm-hmm. But when they go to Oklahoma in that showdown, I think that'll be the one who comes. I think that'll be your number four team. I think if Oklahoma wins, I think if either one of them win that, and they, they run the rest of the two games, I think that'll be your number four seed. Unless Notre Dame yeah, manages to win, and then they're going to put in Notre Dame. Yeah, and I, and I don't see them winning at Stanford. I agree. And then you got Oklahoma at home against TCU this weekend. And like you said, Bedlam next week against Oklahoma State. So if they run the table, I, I, could, I could see that happening. But, you know, I'm not going to count out Michigan yet, and I can't stand them. But if Ohio State beats Michigan State, then Michigan beats Ohio State, and they beat Iowa – I, it wouldn't shock me if they if they found a way to try to sneak them in if somebody else lost uh, to get you another uh, glut of maybe one or two lost teams. Um, but back to your point but about Michigan one has six, two losses, they're not getting in. Yeah, they need help. They they need help. Don't get me wrong. They they need they need help uh, to get there. But it, you know, sometimes with that name recognition, I think that you know they they're so in love with Jim Harbaugh and turn around. Michigan wins the the Big Ten in his first year there. They're gonna they're gonna scoot them way up. I'm just it's gonna happen. Uh, but it may not yeah, be that happens, to be a 
if that happens, there'll be a sixteen playoff sooner than I thought. <laughs> well, you know why I don't think it's going to happen yet? Because I think they want to put the pressure on the Big 12 to get a championship game. I think the Big 12 is going to be, unless somebody runs the table, I think it's going to be them that continuously gets left out, outside maybe this year because the Pac-12, their two big teams have two losses already. But they want them to get a conference championship game, and they're basically standing up. Until you get a conference championship game, if you if it's going to be a tiebreaker between you and another team that's a conference champion that we saw them win the title game, you're going to lose. So I don't think that's going to happen yet until they get a conference championship game. And plus, I kind of like it at four where you had the two semifinals and it just works throughout way together. And we've talked about this over the summer before it even got started. I feel like every year there's one of those power five conferences that are down that really don't deserve to be there. So it doesn't really shock me. And if you want to be honest, Florida State really didn't deserve to be there last year, but they ran the table, so they had to put them in as the defending national champ. And if Ohio State doesn't run the table, they won't deserve to be there given their schedule in the Big Ten. So, and then you got the Pac-12, like I said, with their two juggernauts with two losses. So I don't know. I kind of like the four. I like it for the reasons why you like it, maybe for the six, is that it makes every week almost like an elimination game. So you get the best, the truly the best of the best at the end of the year. I just like it as a six because nobody can whine about being left out and – You'll go to that. Every any team can win any given Sunday. I mean, the Giants, the NFL are all the pro, all the proof you need that teams can fly in as long as they get on a hot streak. And it's just yeah. it's more football. Honestly, it's more yeah, football. It's, That's all I care about. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. But then you, I mean, it, it already adds another layer to it. I think the season has gotten to be too long as it is for supposedly student athletes. Um, so if you add that, you add another week to it. Um, and, and I can see that happening. But I don't see it happening until the the, the, uh, the Big 12 gets a, a championship game. Honestly, I think that's what's going to end up taking. But, you know, we'll see. Um, so let's shift gears a little bit, you know, and, and expand the conversation because we got a pretty good slate of games uh, this weekend. And we're at that point in November where you start to get the, the heavyweights going at each other. Um, I'll kick it off with Michigan State and Ohio State. I don't think you really have to ask me who you, who you think I'm gonna win, who's going to win. I think Ohio State has been – for lack of a better term, treading water until they got to the stretch of games because they knew they were going to be defined by the stretch of games. Michigan State, Michigan, and if they get to the Big Ten championship game, probably against Iowa. Those three were going to either make or break their season. Uh, I think they come out really hyped up for Michigan State, and I think they beat Michigan State at home probably by, by 10. And Colin Cook is also banged up, which doesn't help Michigan State. Uh, I would agree. Uh, I said uh... – I think that Ohio State just has Michigan State's number uh, each year. I think mm-hmm. the style doesn't play well for Michigan State when they head up against Ohio State because Michigan State doesn't have a lot of athletes. And if there's one thing Ohio State has, no matter how how low they're playing towards their competition, they have athletes all over the field. They've got size, mm-hmm. they've got speed, they got strength. And Michigan put up a huge fight against Michigan State and should have won that game. And Michigan doesn't have near the athletes that Ohio State has. I agree a little bit. I think Ohio State kind of coasted a little bit this season up until this hard stretch because this is the first time they've played a ranked team. Yeah, Uh, And this is going to be what separates. This is going to be what makes them different from Florida State last year. Uh, And while we're on the topic of Michigan, since I brought them up, I have to bring up that Michigan-Indiana game. That was crazy. Yeah, And uh, one of the best running backs I've seen – this season and another one we talked about Dak Prescott last week another player that nobody's been talking about Jordan Howard from Indiana my goodness that kid is something special yeah 
Started out mm-hmm. two years at UAB, went 1,500 yards last year, got to play right away at Indy because of what happened with the football program there, and on pace for 1,400 yards this year. I mean, that, that guy is just a monster. Yeah, and while I just to finish that one off, I mean, you talking about somebody that outside that Michigan State game, I feel like the karma gods have shined back on Michigan after they lost that Michigan State game because they should have lost to Minnesota because that was some of the worst clock matches that I've ever seen in all my life. Uh, from a, from a head coach at home, and then Indiana on the last play of the game <laughs> to to win it to pull off this huge upset to allow them to tie and take them to overtime and win. So Michigan has definitely been living right since that Michigan State game. I'm going to now throw it over to you because um, I haven't been following any of Georgia Southern, and when some, Georgia lost those games, they lost a little bit of the luster, so they've been flying under the radar. I know they've been doing more of that, you know, wild dog look here in the past couple of weeks, and I believe the Georgia Southern run the triple option as well. Yes, they do. This is basically, this is why they're the warm-up game for Tech. It's basically like okay. playing Tech, and this season there's not much difference in it. Um, that wild dog thing they've been running, it's been a nice little change of pace uh, for this season anyway. I wouldn't ever consider using it against fantastic teams because it's very, very limited offense if you don't have a running quarterback. Because everybody knows you're not going to throw out of it if you have a running back sitting back there. But as long as they're winning, you know, it's okay. There's not going to be any change there, especially after Mark Rick going up to Washington and solidifying his relationship with Eason. So just going to have to live with it and get used to it being Georgia, being Georgia. Um, so they'll they'll come out of this one with a win. Um, Georgia being Georgia, though, I don't expect them to run away with it until second half if they do. Uh, this isn't like when they played Southern earlier in the year. Georgia Southern is – a really, really good small school. Uh, they're going to mm-hmm. a bowl this year as well. So mm-hmm. they can they can run and they can hold the ball. So it, I'm expecting it to be fairly low scoring. I would I would expect Georgia to maybe get 21, maybe 28. Uh, but I'll, I'll expect another. Their key uh, is definitely their special teams. Now that Isaiah McKenzie's back, if he can bust another one, then I think, I think they need to salt it away early just to kind of salt some wounds. But we'll see how it goes. Yeah, and, and, and that's what, about what I expect. And I think they have to run it right now with where their quarterback situation is. They just don't have – that wild dog running to that extent is just a vote of no confidence in the quarterback situation in Georgia. So I would agree. This is just to, you know, like you said, a bridge here to get to Easton and hopefully, you know, resurrect that quarterback position because Georgia has athletes and they continue to recruit athletes. But let's see, you have a trigger man and give them the ball, it really doesn't matter. Um, moving forward, so you know, I want, know we got some other stuff we want to get to. Um, Memphis at Temple. Uh, I think Memphis's quarterback did, uh, got hurt as well, didn't he, in that game against Houston? No, it was Houston's quarterback that got hurt. Um, but yeah, at Temple, no, I think this Pax is really. Fine. Yeah, Pax is fine. It was Houston's quarterback that got hurt. Um, I liked the way Temple played against Notre Dame. Uh, you know, they just didn't have the horses to run with Notre Dame. That's really what it came down to. But I think it's going to be electric in Philadelphia. Uh, I'm going to go with Temple, you know, by three. I, this is one of those games I can see going either way, but I'm just going to go with the home teams because they're at home with, with all things being considered equal. That's a good call, and this is this is a tight game and should be a fantastic game, just like Houston mm-hmm. and Memphis was incredible last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were texting during the game. I mean, that was a fantastic comeback right there at the end. Uh, Paxton yeah. Lynch is real. Uh, I know yeah. people are going to have the small school thing on him, but Paxton Lynch is a big – Big-armed, mobile quarterback. And right now, he's 
I want to say he's probably my early favorite to be the number one quarterback drafted. He is he is for real. He makes all the throws. He makes good timing. He takes the steps correctly. You know what? Temple plays really good defense. They really yeah. do. But uh, I think Memphis is going to win this game. Uh, I don't think it'll be a huge margin either way. But I'm going to go Memphis by a touchdown. I don't think Temple has quite the offense. They, I know they don't have the offense Houston has. So I don't see them hanging up. 25 30 points i think this is a relatively i think it's a 21 14 ball game maybe 21 17 i would agree with that i think temple has to keep it in that range to win if you start if they have to score 30 or more points i don't think they can hang with memphis uh, and i believe I, I read an article the other day um on the Monday Monday quarterback the peter king site and uh he said he talked to a scout and they have um memphis quarterback also as the number one quarterback coming off the board right now they said he, they feel like he's a bigger Better Ben Roethlisberger, if you can just digest that. A bigger, <laughs> bigger Ben Roethlisberger. I don't know if I'll say that. that yet. He reminds me of Blake Bortles when Bortles was at UCS. Yeah, I'm just saying that's what he said. The scout said to him. That's what I was like, wow. That's how I pray he's coming out. I pray so if he can live up to it. Yes, it is. There it is. Uh, the next one, uh, number 19, UCLA at number 10, Utah. I think Utah with Devin Booker and that defense playing in Salt Lake City. I think I think UCLA doesn't really have a shot in the dark. I think that could be. 10 to 14 points, easy. That Utah defense is for real, and, and UCLA is going to have a problem stopping Devin Booker. Oh, you're not going with the Rosen one there? Yeah, no, 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 I'm no. not. I'm not I, I agree. <laughs> it should be Utah. Uh, Devontae Booker is a carries machine. They always have that to fall back on. Travis Wilson, uh, if he can get his throwing right, he's last last few weeks or so, he hasn't been throwing very well at all. But he, he does have that dual threat ability where that's just going to make UCLA have another dimension they have to watch out for. And not having Miles Jack has really, really hurt that defense this year. But I agree. Yeah. I'll go Utah. I think it's handy. I think it's a 10-point to. I think it's a ten point win. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's all I see is tough to go play in. Uh, 18, Northwestern at 25, Wisconsin. That, to me, is a pick em game. Um, I like Northwestern's defense, but I like Wisconsin and Camp Randall. Uh, if I have to go with it, I'm going to go with the better defense in Northwestern. But if Wisconsin wins that game by three to seven points, it wouldn't shock me. But I'm going to take Northwestern by five just because of the defense is a little bit more soft than Wisconsin. I'm going to take Wisconsin at home. Again, just it's a pick em game, but I'm going to go with the home team on this one. Uh, I think Wisconsin's big, gigantic offensive line will do fairly well against that front seven of Northwestern. And Corey Clement should have, should have at least a little bit more running room than he's had so far this year. So I'll pick Wisconsin, but I won't be surprised if it's Northwestern. Yeah, I know. I, I know. I was sitting there hoping for a, a fantastic game, <laughs> so it helps elevate that <laughs> their undefeated record so far. So I, I know they'll be probably watching, hoping for that. Ah, uh, now we get to go to the Big Twelve, where the big boys are going to play this weekend. Number six, Baylor, and number eight, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, outside the run that Oklahoma's been on, Oklahoma State has been pretty impressive as well. Um, they made uh, Bob Boykin look mortal last week, uh, and in still they knocked him out uh, like a quarter yeah. into the game. Yeah, he threw, but he came back though. He threw, but he threw multiple interceptions in that game as well. And they're at home against a freshman quarterback from Baylor. I, I'm going to go with Oklahoma State. I think what we talked about earlier is exactly the way it's going to set up. I just put them together. I think Oklahoma, both Oklahoma schools win to set up a massive showdown in Bedlam next weekend. I agree. I don't think Baylor has the defense to stick with another team that can score points. And Oklahoma State, they've been rolling lately. They've got the better quarterback situation. They've actually got two better quarterbacks than what Baylor's got right now. Um, <laughs> at home, 
at home, I definitely see Oklahoma State winning. And I, I think it's by at least a touchdown. But this could be one of those 55-51 shootouts, and that wouldn't surprise me at all. Oh, that's what I'm expecting. <laughs> that's what I'm expecting because that's the one knock, and I think that's part of the reason why the Big 12 is not getting as much love. If they, you can talk about the offense you want to, but at some point you have to be able to slow somebody down, if not stop them. And I just don't know if when they get in the game with, you know, the big boys, they get in the game with an Alabama or Clemson, they can do enough to stop them. And you can't always like that's the Big Twelve plan is. It's like the Big Twelve plan is just let them score quick so we can have the ball again. It, it, it is, you know, it's like arena football. The last one with the with the ball wins. It's it's really crazy, and I think that's been the one knock on them. I'm a, I'm gonna throw it back to you. I think Oklahoma beats TCU. I think the Lusters come off TCU. So I mean, Oklahoma might be playing outside of Clemson. Maybe playing the best football in the country right now. I mean, you could make a case for them. Um, they've been on the road. And the quarterback has is, is got his, uh, his Heisman campaign going, and this will be another way to get a kick started at home against TCU to get set up for next week against Oklahoma State. Oh, yeah, definitely since that loss to Texas, I'd have to say Oklahoma's been the most impressive team. Uh, Baker Mayfield, that quarterback you're talking about, coming over from Texas Tech in that air raid, just giving another mm-hmm. dimension. And him, his escapability in the pocket has really been the biggest thing. And being able to avoid some sacks and just keep the play open for another two or three seconds whether he runs it or throws it, is something that Oklahoma's lacked uh, for a long time. That's kind of what's got their offense jump-started. Uh, I agree, especially with an injured Trevon Boykin, who I expect to play. Um, they're saying oh, yeah. right now it's still questionable, but I, I expect him to play. But he's not going to be 100% either way. So I, I do expect Oklahoma to win, and I expect him to win at home fairly handily. I could see this being a two-score game because I don't know if – I don't know – if Trevon Boykin being injured can overcome and score enough points to keep up with that nasty defense that Oklahoma has. Yeah, I to- totally agree for all the reasons you just stated. Um, and that's just, you know, injury games. There's no way Trevon Boykin misses this game. You're going to have to cart him off that field before he's not going to go to Oklahoma and try to win. <laughs> uh, I mean, just, just come on. You, they, we all know he's going to play. Uh, from one injury to another, I just wanted to touch on it, touch on it uh, briefly because it was mighty hard to watch Peyton Manning struggle in that Chiefs game, I mean, those balls look like they had no zip on it. He couldn't move. And then we come out to find out he's got plantar fasciitis, torn plantar fasciitis, and a rib cage injury. I, I hate for that to be the last image we have of him because he's had such a great career. So that's why I wanted to touch on it. And, and I hope that he can come back this year and, and be somewhat of the old Peyton Manning. But, you know, like they say, father time is undefeated, and I just don't see it happening. I think, I think Peyton is done. He might try to come back on a one-year deal next year because he doesn't want this to be the last image of him coming off the field, getting benched in the game that he passed Brett Favre for the most yards in, in league history in. But that was really sad to see, Dylan. It was sad. Oh, I totally agree. Uh, and I can't really blame it too much on the injury because that's an injury they've known about for a couple weeks. So it's not like this just happened during the game. Um, like you were saying, there's no zip on his throws anymore. He just labors through the pocket and he labors getting the ball down. Um, there's no it, it reminds you of Brett Favre, how Brett Favre's last lasting mm-hmm. image was that pick where he gets just crunched and he has to pick himself up and walk off the field, and that was the last we saw of Favre. I yeah. do think if Peyton, I expect Peyton to be out the rest of the year. Plantar fascia is not something that an old non-mobile quarterback can really play around with because he's got nowhere to go. And the Broncos really have no reason – to play Peyton, as bad as weird as that sounds, Peyton didn't give them their best chance to win for most of this year already. And it's 
time for them to let Brock Brock Osweiler get some experience and get some playing time. He's going to be their quarterback, I expect, at the start of next season. Yeah, and, and I would hope that Peyton, you know, came right off to the south that be content with his career. But, you know, it's hard for those guys, old guys to let it go. And they've got a decent cushion in the division because, I mean, I think, you know, Oakland's come back a little bit. San Diego's just having a nightmare season with injuries. They may have to watch Kansas City because Kansas City's starting to get a little frisky. But, you know, they've already split with them at the very least. So, you know, Kansas City doesn't hold any tiebreaker over them at this point. So I, I, I hear you. I think Brock right now gives them the best chance to win because Peyton just can't move at all. Um, let's let's get to some, some NFL games to, to sort of dissect. Um, I, I'm just going to move through this one quickly because I texted you during the game, and that was hard to watch as a Bengals fan, not be able to score a touchdown at home against Houston. Don't get me wrong. Houston's got a good defense, but they don't have a great quarterback, and then you knock him out of the game, and the backup just comes right down the field and throws a touchdown to win the game. That was hard to watch. Um, and given how Arizona, great, impressive win at Seattle, it's hard to go to Seattle and win. It's definitely hard to go to Seattle and win at night in a primetime game. You know Carson Palmer wants to destroy the Bengals, and I think he does. I think that's a 14-point game, at least Arizona with a victory. I do. That Arizona team is for real, man. That team yeah. is something special. They've got Chris Johnson running. I want to say he's number two or three in the league right now in rushing yards, which mm-hmm. looking back for the last five years, you said there's no possible way. That team doesn't seem to have a weakness. I mean, they stop the run. They have good coverage. They can run mm-hmm. the ball. Carson Palmer's been lights out. They got two gigantic, huge targets in Fitzgerald and um, Michael Floyd. And John Brown mm-hmm. in the slot might be the best slot receiver in the game. Uh, that yep. that team is just – I don't see many holes on that team. Maybe pass rush, but even then, they haven't been Falcons horrible. They've still been able to get two – the quarterbacks. I mean, that's a team that coming out of the NFC, especially with the NFC being down with Green Bay and Seattle, um, them and Carolina look like they could be, and I'm going to throw Minnesota into it too, but those two teams in particular, those two teams look like they're real contenders to represent the the NFC this season. Absolutely. I, I, I totally agree with that. I think the only Achilles heel that you might have for Arizona is that offensive line is not great. It's good. But you watch when you, you potty got hurt in that game against Seattle, they couldn't protect Carson Palmer at all, and that's how Seattle got back in the game. So I'd be interested to see how healthy. I think he's going to play. I'd be yeah, he's, he's cleared he to play. Is for the game. Yeah, but, you know, yeah, he's being been cleared, cleared to play, play and being 100% is two different things. Is he, 100, is he 75% cleared to play or is he 100%? So I think, oh, he's, I think that's the key. That's, that's the key. Uh, and speaking of Minnesota, I was going to touch on that one next. Green Bay at Minnesota. Man, the wheels have really started to come off on Green Bay. And, you know, if you watch that all-22 film, the Green Bay wide receivers cannot get off of press coverage at all. If you play zone on them, you do them a favor, they might destroy you. But if you press cover them and make them hold the ball and get that must rush to Aaron Rodgers because Green Bay can't really run the ball, I mean, you can beat Green Bay. And I think, you know, Mike Zimmer is a defensive-minded guy. I think he's going to see that and do the exact same thing. Terrence Newman has been playing better. Zebby Rose has been playing good on the other side. Uh, the young guy, Anthony Barr, in the middle. I like Minnesota, and I like Minnesota to make a statement against Green Bay this week. I think Minnesota wins. Uh, I would agree with you. And the loss of Jordy Nelson is huge for Green Bay because it makes Randall Cobb mm-hmm. have to play exclusively outside where you stick Devontae Adams, who's basically a rookie. And those two, mm-hmm. neither of them can run the routes the same, so they're able to stick their best cornerback on Randall Cobb, who doesn't have elite speed anyway. 
and it makes it really difficult. Aaron's having to go to Devontae, and with Eddie Lacy letting himself get fat and looking like Lindale White, <laughs> they, they, made, they made it predictable. And uh, they talked about that. Aaron Rodgers has talked about that, where their their team is just predictable. Teams already know what they're going to run. And that Minnesota team, they're a press man defense. Xavier Rhodes is one of the better press corners in the league. Especially, mm-hmm. this is one of the things that people knew about him coming out of FSU. This has been his trademark all along. And he's one of these underrated cornerbacks that don't get talked about a whole, whole lot. He didn't pick off mm-hmm. a great number of passes. But playing press man, he is a phenomenal press man corner. I can I can see this being a very bad game for Green Bay, especially now that they have Adrian Peterson they have to worry about again this year. Stephon Diggs, the rookie from Maryland, has been lights out. Mm-hmm. Bridgewater hasn't been exactly what everybody thought. He's not lighting the world up, but he's not making mistakes, which is the biggest thing. I think as long as Minnesota controls the ball, they win this game. I, I, I totally agree. Nothing more to add on that one. Um, I want to whip through some of these to get uh, to get to Atlanta. Some of the, you know, just for me in the word, Buffalo and New England. This is like a little brother playing big brother in the backyard. I think New England wins. I just don't think Buffalo is quite there to get over the hump. Um, Washington, Carolina. Washington's frisky, but like you talked about earlier, Carolina is just playing, you know, phenomenal. The defense and Cam Newton. Um, you know, New York and Houston. Uh, who cares? Uh, same with Tampa, <laughs> Philly. Uh, <laughs> Um, anything one of those you want to touch on uh, before we get into some Falcons covers? I mean, I put those there because you have a lot of those teams that are uh, right there on the outside looking in of the playoff picture. A lot of them, you know, are, are sitting there at seven, eight, nine, and they can make a statement with the win. But I'm not quite sure if any one of them do. I think New York beats Houston easy. I think Philly beats Tampa in a closer game than people expect. Jameis has come on a lot stronger here lately. He's, you're starting to see the progression from him. Buffalo and New England's interesting. Um, without Edelman and without Deion Lewis, they've lost almost 40% of their offense. Uh, the What those two players were accounting for is ridiculous. But it is Tom Brady. Um, he'll find someone else. I do expect him to win. I expect it to be close. I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way. Uh, the biggest problem is Mario Buffalo. That Buffalo defense hasn't been able to rush the passer. Uh, what a difference a year makes for Mario Williams. He's fallen off a cliff. Um, yeah. Washington at Carolina. I think Carolina wins that by a long, long margin. Washington's not going to be able to run. They haven't really been able to run all season. Uh, Kirk Cousins did pick apart. Uh, I want to say who they who they play last week. Put up it was forty five six. Oh, New, New Orleans. Orleans. That's right. Uh, New Orleans secondary is not real good. Um, <laughs> Carolina's <laughs> nice. entire defense is good. Josh Norman. Yeah. Is yeah. this season's best cornerback in the league, and he just yeah. prays for you to throw to his side. I think Carolina wins that. And Cam Newton, what, what do you do to stop a 6'5", 260-pound quarterback who runs um, runs through linebackers? I mean, what do you do to stop that? There's nothing you can really do. I mean, you just got to hope that he throws the ball a million times a game and you get a few picks. And even if he does that, yeah. you got to hope that you can score and that he doesn't just run 30 yards up the middle on you. I mean, that's, that is a tough, tough team to play, even though Cam is not a fantastic quarterback. But – He's playing making, that position right now, he's one of the more important yeah. in the league. Yeah, and I wish they would get off the dancing. I mean, that's so ridiculous. This dude has danced since he's got in the league after every touchdown. Why Tennessee took that so to heart like he was trying to show him up? He dances after every touchdown. Get over it. Like Everybody said, does. Rodgers dances every play. I mean, yeah. they all do. It's just because it's Cam. It's 
it's the smile and it's the reputation with Cam already. Um, but, you know, that's just something for people to whine about. I don't really care either way. I didn't mind it when Chad Johnson was doing it. And mind it when Clinton Portis was coming out with a new five-minute dance every time he scored a touchdown. I don't care. Uh, yeah, uh, when he was, you know, just you don't like it, stop you know, different people. It's, like you said, if you don't like it, stop it. And like you, to your point, the only way you can do it is really to load the box and make those uh, second and third Ohio State wide receivers beat you. I mean, load the box, put a safety over top of Greg Olson, and pray for the best. That's all. That's all you have. I mean, that's what I would do. And you got to hope to tackle it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I don't know if you have another choice because they're basically running the read option with him as well. I mean, he's he's huge. Mm-hmm. He's running people over. And Jonathan right. Stewart is not a small running back. No, he's not. He's, yeah, that's a nice combo. And then you put Tober, who's not a small guy in there either. You just got a lot Jeez. of beats back there. <laughs> I mean, All that's... right, Atlanta. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Mm. No, you're good. You can go ahead and touch on this game. It'll be interesting <laughs> to see what Atlanta does coming out of yeah. the bye. Um, I don't expect them to change too much up, to tell you the truth. Uh, people have been talking about this for the last four weeks, and you haven't really seen any changes. Uh, Atlanta's just a team that has been stuck with their mold the last four years of throwing the ball too much. They're not used to being able to run. So I don't I don't see them changing their minds now. Uh, it is lucky they're playing Matt Hasselbeck over Andrew Luck, but with the season Luck's had, it's not that much of a downgrade if it's a downgrade at all. And they're still only going to rush four, maybe five after the second half. So it should be a close game. Um, the defense is going to definitely have to show up. That offense is going to have to find a way to move the ball. They're going to have to get Julio the ball a little bit more, and they've got to run the ball with Devontae more. Yeah, and the luck that Atlanta has been presented with this year, with the backup quarterbacks and the rookie quarterbacks, how do you not take advantage of it at home again? So you're talking about you lost to Jamie Winston at home, rookie quarterback. You lost to a terrible Blaine Gabbert on the road in San Francisco. You get a week off. To come back, and then you get forty-one-year-old Matt Hassel back back in the mm-hmm. dome. Um, I, I just, you know, they at some point you have to take advantage of this, right? And all the points you just said, and we talked about it. I would like for them to get Roddy back involved over the middle because he's not going to be that guy outside. And I know he does a lot of blocking for him as well. But those times where you need a security blanket, that Gonzo was for Ryan. Let Roddy be that security blanket if they take away Julio by putting the safety over the top. And for goodness sake, make sure you give Devontae Freeman the ball at least 20 times, whether it's runs, screens, draws, some way to get him the ball in space and make Indianapolis defend that. I, and and use the hurry-up offense, because that's when Matt Ryan's at his best. You can't run it every drive, but pieces of the drive of drives, you can run it to keep Indianapolis on, those, on their heels. If they can do those things, they should really destroy Indianapolis if they're able to do those things. If they don't do those three things, they'll let Indianapolis hang around. So that's just my two cents on it. Um, and now we're in for a treat because no other podcast will have a midseason mock draft for the home team but the morning after podcast. So I am going to step back and let my man Dylan Short give you a full seven-round mock draft for the Atlanta Falcons. You take it away, brother. Not just a full seven rounds. I have contingency plans of different players depending on draft stocks and how things match out. Now, I could have done this Go for four. This is my passion. <laughs> Here's what I got. Uh, first round coming up, I expect the Falcons to pick in the 20s, whether it be from 20 to 24, I believe, is their window. Um, 
And honestly, I see them going defensive end or linebacker. I don't see them going anything else. The top tackles will be off the board. You don't usually take a guard in the first round. So I see them going with one of either Emmanuel Ogba out of Oklahoma State, their defensive end, um, 6'2", 275-pounder who can run. Just a just a big beast that would really fit that Michael Bennett mold. Likewise, mm-hmm. same mold, same cloth, Shaq Lawson out of Clemson. Uh, he's a little bit slower. Not quite the speed rusher, but he is a phenomenal power rusher, holds his ground well. Uh, I've got Darren Lee, who you are very familiar with, from Ohio State, yes, being an outside linebacker that can give pressure. Uh, he's got sideline-to-sideline side speed. Needs to fix his instincts just a little bit. Uh, he kind of gets sucked back in on collapsible plays. Doesn't stay home quite as well as he should. Uh, Shalit Calhoun, I'm not real. I don't really see them doing that. Basically, it'd be the same as having another Vic Beasley. I don't see that happening. Uh, it'd be it'd be two quick guys off the edge once they get it, but I don't think you can afford the time to develop two of them at the same time. Um, my wild card would be Suwa Cravens from USC. Their strong safety, who's basically a linebacker, and that would fill mm-hmm. your Cam Chancellor mold. That that guy can hit. The only problem would be his coverage skills deep. That's who your first. <laughs> if I was if I was a betting man, if I was yeah, if I was a betting man, I would say Emmanuel Ogba if he's there. Ogba or Lawson, I would believe is your is your pick. Second round, uh, I see them going a few different ways. They could go an offensive tackle. Schrader hasn't been good lately. Um, inside linebacker, I think if they can get the one they want, I believe that's what they target. And this is you'll notice a theme. I think this is a very defense-heavy draft. Uh, mm-hmm. they, could, they could target a receiver if the right one's there, knowing that they're going to have to replace Roddy. So I've got – I think number one on their list would be Kendall Beckwith from LSU. Not the fastest, but an inside backer. You don't have to be the fastest or the rangiest. Um, he's faster than who you've got in there now. He's faster than Warlow, and he's faster than uh, Brooks Reed, and just a tackling machine. Um, if not him, Kentrell Brothers is a name to watch out for, a kid from Missouri. Again, not blindingly fast, but Kentrell Brothers' instincts are unmatched by any linebacker in this draft, regardless of position. This is the most instinctive linebacker in this draft. He is in on every play. If they go to the offensive side and they draft a receiver, uh, I expect Doxon to be gone by that point. So I would think if they go yeah. receiver, I think Tyler Boyd from Pitt is a name to watch out for. A little bit like Roddy, big, tall, fairly fast wide receiver. He runs decent routes, not the most polished, but he's got good, strong hands, and he's, he does really well on jump balls. The only thing holding him down is playing at Pitt. Uh, the offensive lineman, really the only tackle I could see them taking at this point would be uh, Spriggs from um, from Indiana. And I don't know how they feel about taking linemen from there, but they already run that same type of system. Uh, he's only about 305 or 310, so he's not a gigantic tackle, but he would fit a zone scheme. Uh, and they could upgrade from um, from their tackle right now. Uh, and they could, they could uh, ship Schrader inside the guard if they need to or whatever. Um, I believe, But I believe inside backers is where they go. I would expect Beckwith may be gone, but I would expect Brothers, if he's there, may be Boyd. Um, third round. Uh, I believe they go with the safety. May go second round if they find the right one. Um, Von Bell, I believe, would be their target. You know all about you know all about yes, Von sir. Bell. Uh, yes, he's sir. from Georgia. He is an elite mm-hmm. prospect at safety. He's quick enough to cover. He can lay the wood. Uh, he defends. He defends decently against the run. He's not the best run cover in this draft, but he is not bad at all. He's not going to hurt you. Um, He's quick enough to where you could play him at either safety. Ideally, I believe you'd put him at strong safety where he could kind of roam around and hit people. 
Um, yep. Very instinctive leader. Very good leadership skills. If not him, Eddie Jackson from Alabama, but I think they would move him to a free safety. He was a corner going all the way through in Bama. Great ball skills. You've seen that where he's returned two for a touchdown this season. Not the best tackler, not the biggest, so I don't believe I don't believe he would be a backup. Um, to Nate Andrews from FSU, same one. Um, hard hitter, not the best tackler. He's a hard hitter. Uh, good ball skills. Um, basically cut from the same cloth as uh, – he's like a poor man's Von Bell, I'd say. Uh, it could go Farrell Cooper. The other two positions would be wide receiver. Maybe Farrell Cooper from South Carolina, somebody who's explosive. Mm-hmm. Um, the only problem with South Carolina receivers, they're not the fastest in the world. They look better in college. Um, if they do go receiver, I think it would be Travin Doral from LSU. Big target. He's fast as all get out. Uh, and there's one thing LSU receivers can do. It is play the ball in the air. And Doral is no exception. Doral was one of the top prospects coming in as a receiver. Numbers are down because LSU obviously doesn't throw the ball. But I think Doral would be a really good pick. Um, fourth round. I think they could go anywhere from cornerback to tight end. Uh, I've got them with Cam. If they go cornerback, I expect it to be one of two people, either Cam Sutton from Tennessee, who's a good press man corner. He's not the biggest, so I don't know if uh, if Dan Quinn would really like to go with him, but he's fast. He covers good and uh, got good hands. If not him, Kevari Russell from Notre Dame. Uh, if you remember that name from the academic scandal, another good corner, another good man corner. He's got good ball skills. Uh if they go tight end this early, I think the only target they're going for is Evan Ingram coming out of Ole Miss. I think he fits that mold exactly what they want. Uh, he fits that Luke Wilson mold. He fits that Jimmy Graham mold. He's big, big target. He's fast for a tight end. He's not a good blocker. He's not incredibly strong. But you want somebody who can catch a pass as a tight end. He can stretch the field as well as many of your receivers. Moving on from that, next round, uh, I believe they go offensive line or they go defensive tackle. Uh, I've got a couple linebackers that they might throw in as guard as uh, if those are nobody available. But I see I see the two leading guys being either defensive tackle or offensive guard. I can see that being Montrevious Adams from Auburn. Uh, he slipped a little bit this year because he hasn't been as consistent, but he's a disruptive force. A little bit small, but Atlanta doesn't ever get big tackles. If they go guard, I think Greg Pike from Georgia could be the one they break the mold with and go from somebody from Georgia. I think Pike fits this zone blocking scheme perfect. He's not the strongest in the world, but he knows his footwork. Um, He's done this stuff before. He's been a four-year guy. He's still, no matter how bad his year's been this year, he's still Georgia's best prospect on the offensive line. Uh, Some wild cards at linebacker would be Casanova McKenzie or uh, Antonio Morrison from Florida. Both two guys that can hit hard. Morrison's a little bit faster. Sixth round, uh, these are more just throw darts and see how it goes. The only two I've got right now are cornerback uh, from Maryland, uh, about 6'1", 210 pounds. So he'd be that press man, that big corner that Dan Quinn loves. Or they could go tight end and get Carter out of Penn State. Another field stretcher. Not a great blocker, but I don't think they're looking for a blocking tight end. I think they need somebody who can catch. Last round, mm-hmm. again, same thing. I see a center or a guard. Uh, McGovern from Missouri was the mine. Um, and then I see a wide receiver. I think they could go Malcolm Mitchell. His number is going to cause him to drop, and I think Malcolm Mitchell will be a fantastic player in the NFL. He's only had really a season and a half of receiver experience, and his toughness and his hands and his run after the catch ability are all going to be crazy values where he's going to be drafted. Uh, also, Duke Williams, far. So if they're not worried about the character issues, Duke Williams would be somebody to watch out for. He's not the most natural receiver. Uh, he's still really raw. 
He is more polished than Sammy Coates, but we'll see how they could do with that. Uh, two two more tight ends that they leave that off. Steven Shu from Vanderbilt and Jake McGee from Florida. Both of those the same mold. Run, catch the ball. Not great blockers, but they're good scene stretchers. Shu's not real athletic. He's he's just like Jacob Tammy. He's a little more athletic, but not too much. And uh, that is my midseason breakdown of the Falcons mock. Three more games in, wow. I'll probably give you another one. All right, yeah, we're up against it. That's pretty impressive, though, halfway through. I threw this one in for you. I just want to say thank you, everybody, for listening in. I'm going to let you go ahead and, and take us out uh, with your thoughts on Ronda Rousey getting knocked out in the second round here on Saturday. First off, anybody thinking that was a thrown fight is an idiot. Basically, Holly Holm <laughs> is a championship boxer. Anybody yep. who was just saying that Ronda couldn't ever lose, then you, you're dumb and you don't know mixed martial arts. Ronda has amateur-style striking. The only reason people thought she had good striking, she knocked out Betch Kohea, who was somebody who picked up MMA as a side gig, something to stay fit. Uh, this this rematch isn't going to go any different. You can't learn footwork and striking in a year. You can't learn it in six months. It's going to go the exact same way. Holly's big enough and strong enough to defend the clinch, and all you have to do to stop that judo throw is clasp your hands and not give Ronda over or underhooks. So I'm sorry, people looking for a conspiracy theories to why Rousey lost. There's not one other than Holly Holm is just better. Whoo. Scathing. I love it. I love it. Good stuff, brother. Good stuff as always. Uh, tune in to us next week. We're going to talk some more fallout from the NFL and college football and going to try to get to some more uh, MLB stuff. We get any more, some more time to talk about the awards and uh, the general manager meetings. And we'll be getting to the winter meetings here shortly. So appreciate all the, Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.